Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. All right, let's do this. How you doing this morning? It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great week as we take all these friends down to Mexico, and God is doing great things in all people's Tijuana, and uh, he's doing great things here. So many people coming to know Jesus last weekend. It's just so wonderful to be a part of the kingdom of God, amen? You know, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word uh, a spiritual person or a devout follower. I, you know, growing up, when I thought about someone who would spend a lots of time with God, I would have thought of someone who lived a very boring, very slow-paced life, someone whose heart rate probably went about 20 beats a minute, boom, boom. You know, how could you just sit and stay focused for that long? That is not me. You know, I'm always wanting to listen to something on the radio, wanting to, wanting to do some, some computer game, wanting, you know, that. I was so distracted growing up. And, and so if you thought about that kind of person, I would have thought they would be like the sloths in Zootopia. I don't know if you, you saw that movie where the main characters, uh, a fox and a, a little bunny, come in and they need some information, so they've gone to the DMV, and rightly so, all the workers are sloths. We love you, by the way, if you work at the DMV. Uh, but but I, I want to take you into it, because this is the, 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 the type of person that I thought would have been a spiritual giant. Let's watch this. Are you saying that because he's a sloth, he can't be fast? Flash, flash, 100-yard dash. Buddy, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you, hmm. too. Hmm. Officer Judy Hap, CPD, how are you? I am doing fine. Well, what Hang in there. can I do well, I was hoping you could run a for you? Well, I was hoping you today. could... Today. Well, I was hoping you could run a plate for us. We are in a really big hurry. What's the plate? Two nine T number. Two nine T H D zero three. Two nine T H D zero three. H D zero three. D. Mm-hmm. Zero, three. Zero. Three. Hey, Flash, want to hear a joke? No! Sure. What do you call a three-humped camel? I don't know. Pregnant. Priscilla. Oh, no! Yes? Flash? What do no. you call a three-humped camel uh, pregnant? Okay, great, we got it. Please jump. Ah, we gotta beat the rush hour in. It's night! 
Isn't that hilarious? That's the exact profile I would have thought of for a spiritually deep person. And that just wasn't me. I, I remember our youth pastor growing up in church saying, I want you to spend seven minutes a day with God. And I, I would remember pulling out, I mean, I still remember sitting by my bed, pulling out my Bible and, and looking and going, it's been two minutes, going, ugh, ugh, slamming my head like this bunny into the desk, going, I can't do it, I can't do it. You know, this by nature just is not who I am. I, I'm always moving. If, if you've ever had a, a meeting with me, half the time you've gone on a walk with me, even on my day off, I'm doing something, I'm organizing something, I'm doing my lawn, I'm in the garden, I'm working. This is just kind of how I am. In fact, I was having dinner with a, a, a new family that had come to the church, and we're sitting having a meal together, and the, the guy looks at me and goes, so how do you manage your ADD? I was like, wait, wait, I didn't, I didn't say I have ADD. I don't have ADD. And, and uh, he goes, well, do you next to your bedside table have about eight books? Because you're always in the middle of numerous books. You can't just focus on one. I was like, well, yeah. How do you know? And he goes, and uh, when you sit in meetings and kind of after you talk about the big picture and it goes into details, you totally lose focus. And I was like, Yeah. He goes, and then when you sit down at the end of the day and you're going to just relax, your mind just starts going to the next thing you're going to do. I go, well, yeah. He goes, exactly, you have ADD. I'm like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I'm not saying I have ADD today, but I am trying to tell you that I probably wouldn't be the profile of the person I thought that would love spending a lot of time with Jesus. But something shifted in me when I returned from our mission trip almost 20 years ago to Mexico, and, and it's why I love this trip so much, because it was for the first time I saw the kingdom of God invading earth. And many of you that are going for the first time, and if you're not going on this trip, you'll have plenty of other opportunities with us, and we do a lot of things in order to see God's kingdom come. It was the first time that I saw numerous people make decisions to follow Jesus, and it was so exciting. It was the first time I had laid hands on the sick and actually felt with my own hands people being healed. And I, returning from the trip, said, I'm all in. I've got to be a part of what this church is doing, a part of the activity of the kingdom no matter what. And so I came back, and that first week, I heard that the church was painting the offices. So I said, man, if that's what the church is doing, I'm in. This is exciting. So I go, and I'm painting the offices, and I happen to be painting next to the pastor. His name was Jimmy. Jimmy said, hey, I have free lunch. You want to go to my house and have some Taco Bell? I said, I'm in. And, and so we're we're driving over to his house, and I'm thinking in my brain, like, this is my chance to be with the pastor. What is one question I can ask him? And so after he asked me numerous questions about myself, I said, Jimmy, I have a question for you. If you were 21 years old and you wanted to sell out your life for Jesus, you had just been on a trip like this, you've been rocked, what would you do? What's the one piece of advice you'd give me? Without batting an eye, he goes, Robert, Psalm 103. I thought, huh, this is interesting. He said, Psalm 103 says this. That the children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. He said, I don't want to be a person that just knows what God does from afar. I want to be a close friend who actually knows his ways, who understands his heart, who understands his heart motives. And the way you're going to become that is if you spend a lot of time with him. He said, you'll never have more time than you have right now. I would start spending hours with Jesus alone. I went, wow, 
this is going to be hard for me. I can't even spend seven minutes with the Lord. However, on that trip, they had encouraged us as part of the trip to spend an hour alone with Jesus a day. And what I learned was this, as I went on this trip, the point of it wasn't to do some religious thing. It was to come and actually open the Bible and find out more about who God is. You know, that's the reason we read the Bible. It's not to just get rules. It's not to earn some credit. It's because I want to know God. You actually are coming to the Bible and <laughs> sucking the life out of it. Okay, so let, let me just tell you, that's, that is something I can relate to because I've always been a person who wants to suck the last sip out of that drink, right? I don't get it when, when people go to Starbucks and they, they drink their drink and have a third left. Like, I don't understand that kind of person, right? I'm the kind of kid that was always getting in trouble because I get down to that last little bit of drink and get the struggle. You know, my mom would go, Robert, stop it. I don't care if it's one half spit. It doesn't matter if the, if the bottom is saliva. There's still some good taste in it. So are you like that with the Bible? Do you come and suck the life out of it? This is God's word. He's unveiling who he is to us. And so that's how I come. It's not to just get some regulations. It's not so I can check off some box that I did my good deed and I read the, the holy book. No, I want to know the author of this book. This book reveals Jesus. When I pray, it's not just saying some religious prayer so I can cross off a box. No, I come and I pour out my heart to God. And then I say, reveal yourself to me. That's what this whole thing is about. And I, I, I love this story. I want to highlight today someone who was like this, someone who got it, someone who wanted to be with Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me, Luke chapter 10, or if you want to open up your Bible app, but I want everyone to have something before you because I want you to do two things today. I want you to highlight and I want you to take notes, or I want you to underline and I want you to take notes so we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and we're going to specifically focus on the person Mary. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Bible can be confusing because there's so many Marys, okay? So this is Mary from Bethany. This is young Mary. Verse 38, it says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called very good. I just want to see if you're still with me. Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I want you to underline that phrase, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Let me ask you this week, if we were to look at your life, would we say that you're a person like Mary who sits at the Lord's feet and listens to him? Do you sit and you listen? This is who Mary was. And then it says, but Martha... Anytime you see but in the scripture, you know that there's going to be a contrast. There's going to be a juxtaposition. So Mary was doing one thing, but Martha is doing something else. What's Martha doing? It says this, but Martha was distracted. Say distracted, church. Distracted. But Martha was distracted. I want to tell you, we live in a distracting era. We live in a distracting world. And, and, and some of us, we, we spend the majority of our life distracted. A, a recent scientific study has actually shown that humans have a shorter attention span now than goldfish. 
Now, the problem is some of you didn't hear me because you were distracted. <laughs> but one of my goals at this church is to beat the goldfish, that we would raise up a people who can focus. You know, there, there's so many things to be distracted by. There's actually laws being passed so that we could drive a car and not be distracted. I mean, when you think about how preposterous that is, that you're driving thousands of pieces, uh, you know, thousands of, of pounds of metal flying down the road, and yet we think, hey, maybe I should be multitasking and doing a few other things. It's just ridiculous, right? But I fall prey to it. You know, I'm thinking, wow, I'm driving, man. I could be talking to someone. I could be sending texts. I could be emailing. You know, I, I wonder. There's just so many opportunities for distraction. And we're driving down the road, and people are making millions of dollars distracting us. Like, they're putting billboards up, right? They got bumper stickers on cars. There's ads coming. I mean, there are just so many distractions. Have you ever been distracted from a distraction? Like, you are getting distracted you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do your email on your computer and then something pops up and you're like, oh, I'm so interested in that. And you start following that and then something else pops up and you're like, wait, how did I get here? I was following a distraction. I got distracted, right? We can't even stay focused on our distractions. There are so many things to distract us. And, and, and here's the deal. A lot of them aren't even bad. Martha was distracted by something good. It says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving. You know that we can even become distracted with good things? Martha was distracted with serving. It says, and she went up to him, this is Martha, she goes up to him and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You know, we can become distracted in church by looking at other people and what they're doing. You ever notice that? Like you come to church and you're all like, I love you. You know, and what is that person wearing? Or how are they worshiping? Don't you know to raise hands like this? That person's raising like this. That is so. Just, like we become professionals at critiquing, critiquing people that are distracting. They are so distracting. Well, you're distracted, right? I mean, and you're distracting them. Look at that person. They are so distracting. And you're distracting someone else to tell them how distracting that person is. This is crazy. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Why doesn't Jesus want us distracted? Because distractions lead to anxiety. Distractions lead to trouble. Right? A focused person lives in peace. A focused person lives in joy. A focused person lives fulfilled. Do you know the more distracted we get, the more focused we get on many things, the more empty we live because we can't find the fulfillment in all those different distractions. And so Jesus is saying, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. The more things we focus on, the more anxious our life becomes. But one thing is necessary. But one thing is necessary. I want to talk to you today about becoming a people of one thing. The title of my message is Becoming a One Thing Person. Becoming a One Thing Person. This is God's call on our life. Some are coming in this morning saying, I want to know God's call on my life. His call on your life is to become a one thing person. He says one thing is 
necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Today we're going to talk about a good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now I want to talk to a couple of different groups this morning. The first is, is people, you're, you're here seeking God. You'd say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm not a God follower yet, but I'm here because I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm inquiring. I, I, I wonder if this thing is for me. Or, or maybe you're a brand new believer. You just prayed and gave Jesus your life. But, but your fear, oftentimes the main fear of this seeker group or this new believer group is, I just, I, I want to know God, but I'm afraid he's going to ruin my life. You ever had that thought before? Anyone out there? Oh, a couple of you guys are going, no. You guys need to pray for us. I, I, I want to I tell you, I was so concerned that God was going to ruin my life, that he was going to take me, and I was going to be like a little proverbial pawn on a chessboard that I said, God will give you my life. And he's like, good, because I'm taking you here. And moving me away. And God, I don't want to go there. You know, or God's going to just tell me, you got to give all of this away and you got to do this that you don't want to do and you're just going to sit in Sunday school for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, it's so boring. I don't want to give you my life. Do you know what God wants from you most? He just wants you to experience his love. You know, that's God's main desire for you is that he wants... Some of you don't believe me. Do you know God didn't need us? You know, he was all sufficient in the Trinity. We serve a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do you know that he lives in love? There's this wonderful dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God was completely fulfilled in the love in the triune God. He is perfect. He is wholeness. He is completion. And so he didn't need us. So why did he create us? It's because he wanted to shower his love on children. You are God's child. Do you know a loving parent loves to shower love on their children? How, how, how do I know this? We're, we're, it's not just when our children are doing good. At night, when my children are doing nothing, I go over and stand over them, and I just look, and I go, whew. I love them. They don't, I'm not doing it because I think they need it. I'm doing it because I want to. I want to go stare at my kids because I'm so in love with them. Do you know that's how God is with you? Do you know that God comes and stands over your bed at night and your hair is all funky, you know, and you're all mouth open. You know, my kids don't look, they're not like, hmm. You know, when they sleep, they're like, ah. And they're drooling and, you know, and even in the middle of the night, your breath starts, starts stinking, and God is like, I love you. I'm in love with you. Why does God want you to come near to him? Because he wants to wrap you up in his love. God is love. He can't wait to be with you. He stands at the edge of your bed in the morning and goes, I can't wait for them to wake up. I just, oh, come on, come on, wake up, wake up, wake up, I, oh, yeah, and just wants to, every morning, I start my kids' day by wrapping them up in love before they've done anything. That is who God is. You that are seeking God, you that are new believers, God's main goal is for you to just receive his love, to be wrapped up in his love, and then he loves it when you love him back. And then he starts changing your desires to where you want to be with him. 
I love what my oldest son says. I'll often say, hey, Hudson, what do you want to do? He'll go, whatever you want to do, Dad. Why? Because he just wants to be with me. And so he wants to do what I want to do. And that's what starts happening in our hearts. It's not that he's trying to change us into a little pawn because he needs someone to go do something no one else will do. He's wanting to wrap you up in his love so much that you're like, God, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, I just want to be with you. Because no one fulfills me because you came to give abundant life. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to tell you, if any of you have tried to follow that thief before and just tried to go to your own thing, you know it stinks. Because you just start getting stolen from and killed and destroyed. Can anyone give a witness to that? Yeah, I tried to do my own thing, and it just led to the ditch. But with God, it's that abundant Life. Let me talk to a second group today. It's the mature believer in the room. You've been walking with God for a while. There, there's a danger in this story, and it's to start thinking, well, you know, all those other people, you know, they haven't reached maturity yet because they're trying to go out and share the gospel, or, or they're going out serving, and I am the most mature because I just sit hours just alone at Jesus' feet, and that's all I do. And that there's nothing else. No, I, I've got to give you the context to this story because it's in Luke chapter 10, and this is this is an amazing chapter. Because in Luke chapter 10, first, what do we see? The first thing we see is that Jesus is sending out the 72 to go share the gospel. He's sending them out into the harvest. This is what's in Luke chapter 10. And so he sends them out to preach, to lay hands on the sick, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to bring people into the kingdom. And then the second thing we see that he does is he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's this understanding, we talked about that several weeks ago in this series about his heart for people of other ethnicities, people of other groups. We talked about Jesus and immigration. This is our neighbor, the one who's from a different group, from a different people, but they're in need at this time. And so Jesus gives us a chapter, just this one chapter, Luke 10, where we see we're sharing the gospel. We're serving people. But don't ever think that there's anything more important than being with him. You know, because one thing we can do as mature believers is we start out by being with them. I mean, this is, this is how I, I started. I started by just spending time with them, but as I'm with them, he started sharing with me, and he started giving me strategy, and all of a sudden, you start seeing people come to the Lord, and all of a sudden, you're seeing him move, and all of a sudden, you're seeing healing, and all of a sudden, there's churches, and there's missions, and it's so exciting, and then all of a sudden, we get distracted, and we got to come back again to Jesus. There's actually nothing better than just being with you. There's nothing better. And that's what we're passionate about here is a people who love to be with Jesus. So we conclude this sermon series with Jesus this morning. That's what I hope you're getting. Look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27 says this. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. Could that be said of your and my life, that if we had one thing, like if someone came to us and said, what's one request you have, that you'd say, hey, if there's one thing, it's to be with Jesus. 
is to dwell in his house. If, if we went up and asked your kids, parents in here, raise your hand, raise your hand. If we all of a sudden, if I kind of put a little microphone into all our children's teachers and said, ask their kids, what's the one thing they're most passionate about? What would they say? Some of you guys are going, oh man, don't worry, we're not going to do this. I mean, it would be funny to hear what they said. Oh, football. You know, dad's passionate about football. You know, mom, she loves her coffee. You know, oh, dad, he loves poodles. You know, or what, whatever. I mean, you know, we can get passionate about the craziest things. If we were to ask your kids, how about this? You know, and you're like, hey, I'm glad I'm not a parent right now. You can't get on me. What if we asked your roommate? Okay, if you're single in here, you have a roommate. We asked your roommate, what's the one thing they're most passionate about? What would they say? Oh, man, they are passionate about their boyfriend. Oh, he's so cute. I just can't stop thinking about it. Oh, my gosh, he's going to see his haircut. You know, and, <clears throat> or would they say, that's a one-thing person. They want to be with Jesus. I love it. He says, to dwell in the house of the Lord. This is why I love the church so much. This person, this is, this is David speaking, and we think, oh, David must have been one of those sloth-moving, slow-moving, just hyper-spiritual, devout, religious people. No, David was a warrior. I mean, the guy is like out fighting giants and fighting battles, and you know, I mean, he's, got, he's, he's a poet, he's a singer, he's a warrior, he's a lover, too much of a lover. Yeah, David is, <laughs> David's all over the place, and yet he says, and he's a king, by the way. You know, sometimes we think, well, those, those super spiritual people, it's because they have nothing. No, David had all the riches in the world. And what does he say? He says, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I would seek. He says, to dwell in the house of the Lord. This, this is why I'm so passionate about church. You know, when I go on vacation, you know what I like to do? I like to go visit church. Why? Because I love to be with the people of God. The Bible says wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he's there with them. To get to be with the people of God and the presence of God be there. I hope being with us that you're falling in love with the church. That you just say, oh, I love being with the people of God. I love being in the presence of God. I love cultivating the presence of God. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Is this the one thing that you desire? You know, let, let me say this, because I know I'm talking to a room where some people were like, absolutely. And some of you are going, you know, gosh, it's not. Like, I know it should be, but it's not. I, I love what my dad did when he started getting this revelation. He, he, uh, he would say, man, I, I want to really love Jesus. I want that to be my greatest desire, but it's not. So would sing these worship songs, you know, I want to know you, I want to know you, Lord. And he, would, he, he was one of those, like, very conscientious people who would say, I can't sing that genuinely. I love you in here that are conscientious. You know, our worship team just starts singing a song. I'm just going to sing it, you know. I'm just going to jump in, and they start jumping, and I start jumping back, you know. And some of you... Like my wife, for instance, you're going to evaluate every word of every song. And you're like, I can't sing that genuinely. You know, what, what did that word mean? You know, and so you analyze, I love how you are. I love that about you, right? And, and that's how my dad was. So he would go like, I can't sing, I want to know you more. So he would go, I want to want to know you more. I want to want to hear your voice, you know. He'd say that song, Lord, I give you my heart. He'd come on, he'd be like, Lord, I want to want to give you my heart. 
He was being very sincere and genuine. We call it get real. You heard Jeff say the vision statement of our church is get rot, get real, and give it away. You don't have to play games here. If you're not there yet, what I encourage you to do, and I'm going to give you a chance to do this at the end of the service, is to lay your hand on your heart and be honest and say, God, I don't want you more than anything right now, but would you help me to want you more than anything? You know, I believe it takes God to love God. We need God to do something in our hearts to make us love him. Because by nature, what we love is ourselves. And what we love is just taking care of, of me, mine. Right? And, and instead, God comes in and helps us to love him. He comes in and changes us. This is my, my main prayer over my kids. Parents, I want to encourage you. I pray daily, Lord, let my kids hunger after you. I pray that prayer over my children more than any other prayer, that they would hunger after the Lord. They'd have a hunger that drives them into the Lord. I, I, I want to finish this morning by looking at another passage about Mary to see this hunger in her heart. It's going to be in John chapter 12, and then there's another mirrored passage in Mark 14. Scholars are in debate whether this is the same story, but it's very, very similar, same scenario, so we're going to look at both of them. John chapter 12, verse 1 says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, so this is the same Martha we just looked at. It says, Mary and Martha, now we realize that her brother's Lazarus while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. So let me just give you a couple thoughts about this scenario. First of all, Jesus is visiting this family. Do you know that Jesus loves to visit people who invite him? You know, you want Jesus more involved in your life, just call out to him more. Whenever I'm anxious, whenever I'm troubled, whenever I'm having a hard day, whenever I'm feeling more discouraged or downtrodden, I just say, Jesus, won't you come? Jesus, won't you meet me? I say that name hundreds of times almost every day. Jesus, Jesus, won't you come? Because I know from Scripture that Jesus comes where he's invited. Second thing I notice is that this is the home of Lazarus. It says this is the home of Lazarus and the Luke chapter 10, we saw it was the home of Martha. This is intriguing because we know that these are very young people. Why would it be the home of Martha and the home of Lazarus? Scholars agree that their parents must have died. And so that's why it's known as the home of a young person because you'd always list the patriarch whom the home belonged to. And so this home belongs to these very young people, and so their parents must have died. And so here they are, these three siblings living together, and Jesus comes to spend time with them. Verse 3, it says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. Now what we know from looking at these different scriptures and later on in the text that it says this was worth a year's wages. Now if you think about the average family wage in San Diego, the average household in San Diego brings her in around $80,000. I want you to think of a perfume bottle worth $80,000. 
And I want you to think about this scene where Jesus comes in, sits down, and a woman pulls something $80,000 off the shelf. And in one fell swoop and in one instance of extravagant worship just pours out and wastes $80,000. Boom, it's gone, never to have again. And then she doesn't just stop there. She takes her hair and lets it down, which would have been radical, which would have been unconventional, which would actually have been very improper for a woman to do because she says, I, I don't want to just wipe his feet now with, with towels. I want to show him that I'm using my very life to minister to him. So I'm taking that which is most costly and now I am humbling myself, even humiliating myself to say, Jesus, I want to give everything to minister to you. Let me just tell you, this was a startling act of worship. Let's go back to what I said about these children having lost their parents, this this pure nard, This would have been the most costly thing that Mary had. And you have to understand about a young woman living in this time is that she would not have gotten an inheritance her brother would have received at Lazarus. That's why he has the home. The inheritance would go down to the firstborn son. But Mary would have received one thing, and it would have been a dowry. It would have been what she would use to be given so that she could get married. You couldn't get married without a dowry. So what did Mary take? Mary had, I believe, one very expensive possession, and it was this vial of pure perfume. And in an instant, when Jesus walks in the room, she's so overwhelmed with his goodness that she goes, the only fitting response is for me to take what is most precious to me and waste it on him. And in one instance, she is wasting her whole future on him. Saying, you know what? I would rather give my all to Jesus than to hedge my bets on maybe getting married someday. But you gotta think about this also. Back then, they didn't have photographs in in their house. This would have been the one thing that she owned that would remind her of her parents. This not only was her an attachment and her hope for a future, this was her remembrance. This was her keepsake. This was what she had received from her parents. And so she goes, I'm gonna waste my past on Jesus. And you think about it also, if her brother would have died, and that was a good chance because he just had died. His name is Lazarus. This would have been her hope for the present. Like, this is what she could sell so she wouldn't beg. At least she'd have all these thousands of dollars if she sold this perfume. But in an instant, she wastes her past, her present, her future, because she says, there's nothing worth my life like giving an extravagant worship to Jesus. And yeah, we all start clapping. It says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Why are we clapping? Because What she did affects us and we feel it, right? The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Do you know when you pour out your worship to Jesus, it fills a place with the fragrance of his goodness. 
right? What you pour out on him, other people are affected. We think we're just giving our worship to Jesus, and that's right. I'm living for an audience of one, but you know that other people are affected. That's what infected my life as I saw a young woman, 18 years old, just giving herself wholly to Jesus. She shined with his glory when I got to college. She was all about him, and she radiated. It's like she filled every room she went with his fragrance, I said, I've got to have that. I want that. Do you know what the world needs is to experience your extravagant worship? That's actually the greatest witnessing tool you have is when your life is devoted to Jesus because people experience the perfume, the fragrance of that. But not everyone likes it. Verse 4, it says this, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected Do you know when you start getting radical about pouring out your affection on Jesus, there will be some who object? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. I want you to look for a moment at Mark chapter 14, a mirrored text. It says this, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. Why was this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Can I just warn you today, if you decide to take this message and let it infect your heart and you say, I am gonna pour out my worship on Jesus and you start extravagantly giving your past, your present, your future, you say, I'm gonna give of my resources, I'm gonna give of my time, I'll even be humiliated like Mary, I'm gonna become undignified in my worship. Can I just tell you that there will be people who rebuke you. There will be people who are indignant and some of them will even be churchy people. Why? Because they're convicted. Because what you're doing makes them uncomfortable. And some of them don't get it. Because this is just a religion to them. This is just something you do on a Sunday. And so they'll start looking at you and going, why the waste? Why A year's waste. Why are you wasting your life? You could have been a fill in the blank whatever they think you should have done. You could have taken your talent and cashed it in for billions of dollars. You could have had this kind of spouse. You could have lived in this kind of place and they will rebuke you harshly. And I love what Jesus says. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse seven. He says this. Leave her alone! I don't know about you, but I want big brother Jesus to defend me. (laughs) He says, leave her alone. You know, when you start pouring out your life for Jesus, you start giving your time, your resources, your talents, your affection, your devotion, your focus, and people start saying, why are they doing that? And they become indignant. You're wasting it. That's just not worth it. That seems foolish. You could have lived here. You could have done this. You could have been that. You could have made a name for yourself. Jesus stands up and says, you be quiet to the rest of them. And look what else he says. He says this. Why, verse 6 of Mark 14, why are you bothering her? 
She has done a beautiful thing to me. Church, this is an aspiration. This is an ambition. This is a dream of my heart that I would get to heaven and Jesus would say, Robert, you have done a beautiful thing to me. Can you imagine a more wonderful encouragement when you step into heaven and Jesus goes, look at that one. Look at John. Look at Sally. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Watch what he goes on to say. This, this is profound right here. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Watch the beginning of verse 8. She did what she could. She did what she could. At the end of your life, will it be said of you that you did what you could? This is the great equalizing scripture in all the Bible because we don't all have the same gifts. Have you noticed that? Right? You, you, you watch Billy Graham, and he's speaking, and he's preaching about Jesus, and he says, come to Jesus, and the, the front floods with people, and other people open their mouth and say, Jesus, and people run the other way. Right? Or, 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 or Stephen starts singing, and everyone jumps in, and you start singing, and people run. Right? Ow! Oh, stop! But we, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all, we can't all, and, and so we look and go, well, I wasn't given all those gifts, so I guess I can't make an impact in the kingdom. I guess I can't bless God. Wrong. Because he's saying it's not about how gifted you are. The question is, did she do what she could? Did he do what he could? Did you do what you could? Because when you do, you've done a beautiful thing to me, says Jesus. Have you done what you could? You just take your one little talent. You say, I don't have five talents like these other people. You just take your one little thing and say, I'm giving it all to you. And he does, that's beautiful. He says, they did what they could. I, I, I am haunted by this verse because I don't want to get to heaven and have left anything on the field. I want to have played the game with everything in me that I poured it out. Don't you, church? Don't you want to give them your all? This is what it means to be a one-thing person. He says, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, listen to this. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I dare you to try to find another place in scripture where it says wherever the gospel is preached, what this person did will be told in memory of them. This is so profound. He's not saying, well, wherever the gospel's preached, we're going to talk about all these people that this one guy brought to the Lord. Or wherever the gospel's preached, we're going to talk about all the healings that this woman saw. Or wherever the gospel's preached, we're going to talk about all the thousands of people this person served. And he says this, wherever the gospel's preached, this lavish act of worship, what this one thing woman did when she wasted her everything on me, that's what we're going to put together with the gospel because it's the only fitting response for my goodness. Wow. And no one determines that except you. No one can keep you from being a one thing person. It's your decision. Let me stand up. Would you just close your eyes with me? Mm -hmm.
I want to pray for several different groups. So if I speak something out that applies to you, I just want you to focus and I want you to respond. If you're one of those people that say, Robert, I can relate to that story about your dad because I'm here and I'm hearing this message, but I'm not like Mary yet, but I want to be. I wish my heart was like that. I want to want to know Jesus. I want to be a person who that is my one thing. If that's you this morning, I just encourage you right now to put your hand on your heart. Just be real honest right now. Yeah, I might not be in love with Jesus yet, but I'd like to be. I know that's right. I just need to be. Would you just put your hand on your heart? And I'm going to pray for you right now. Actually, first, I want you to just, under your breath, just say, Jesus, I want to love you more. I want to hunger after you. Lord, I pray for these honest friends all over this room that are just saying, yeah, I might not be there yet, but I want to fall madly in love with Jesus. I thank you for their honesty. And I pray right now that you'd increase the hunger in their heart and the fire in their souls to be one thing, people. Now I want to pray for another group, and I want to invite you to do something very bold. I want to invite you, those that are just saying, yes, today I want to freshly devote myself to Jesus. I just want to be like Mary. I want to say it's all about you. I want to lavish my life on you. Anything you want, Jesus, it's yours. I want to just be a one thing person. If that's you today, that's just in your heart. I want you to come right now and get on your knees and worship Jesus like Mary did. Just to come and say, I'm pouring my heart out. You just come right now. Your heart's burning. You're just saying, yeah, I just want to be a one thing person. All over this room, you just be bold. We make moves like this because the Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Just come all the way up to the front so there's plenty of room because I know numerous people are going to respond. You're just saying, I want to be that one thing person. I want to be a person that sits at your feet, Jesus. I don't want to hold anything back from you. You might have done this a thousand times, but you need to do this again. There's some couples in here that one of the spouse needs to turn to the other and say, let's be that as a couple. I've been that by myself, or maybe I've never been that by myself, but I want our marriage to be marked. You just keep moving forward. You come down. Maybe it's that you're here as a family. You just say, we want to be a family that's a one thing person. You might need to grab your roommate and just say, I need someone to come down with me and just to declare, I'm going to be a one thing person. You just make your way. You make your way now if that's burning in your heart because we take steps forward because the Bible says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us and he's gonna give grace to those who humble themselves. And sometimes it's embarrassing to move forward in church, but this is a safe place and we are for you. God, you're seeing these ones coming forward and I pray that you give them grace to radically surrender their lives to radically pour out their lives is one thing, people, to make those decisions, to make those declarations, to, to make those radical commitments to be a one thing person. I, I need some, some leaders to come up to the sides as well right now because I know that there's some people in this room that you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus yet. Last week we had so many people saying that. If I could have some leaders up here and maybe some leaders to stand in the aisle, can you, some life group leaders, some training school students, some different ones just come and stand up here. And if you're like saying, I, you know, I haven't given my life to Jesus yet, but I need to invite him in. I don't want to leave this place without knowing that he's come in my heart. You come now. We want to pray for you. We want to lead you in a prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's no greater gift than that. Stephen's going to lead us in one verse of this song, and you just come and respond to Jesus as you.